The Swiss Family Robinson, Chapter 10 Construction of a Ladder A repast ended. I observed to my wife that we should be obliged to pass the night on the ground. I desired her to begin preparing the harness for the animals, that they might go to the seashore and fetch pieces of wood or other articles which might be useful to us. I, in the meantime, set about suspending our hammocks to some of the arched roots of the trees. I next spread a piece of sailcloth large enough to cover them to preserve us from the dew and from the insects. I then hastened with the two eldest boys to the seashore to choose out such pieces of wood as were most proper for the steps of my ladder. Ernest was so lucky as to discover some bamboo canes in a sort of bog. I took them out, and with his assistance, completely cleared them from the dirt, and stripping off their leaves, I found to my great joy that they were precisely what I wanted. I then instantly began to cut them with my hatchet in pieces of four or five feet long. The boys bound them together in fagots, and we prepared to return with them to our place of abode. I next secured some of the straight and most slender of the stalks to make some arrows with, of which I knew I should stand in need. At some distance from the place where we stood, I perceived a sort of thicket in which I hoped to find some young pliant twigs, which I thought might also be useful to me. We proceeded to the spot, but apprehending it might be the retreat of some dangerous reptile or animal, we held our guns in readiness. Flora, who had accompanied us, went before. We had hardly reached the thicket before she made several jumps and threw herself furiously into the middle of the bushes, when a troop of large-sized flamingos sprang out and with a loud rustling noise mounted into the air. Fritz fared when two of the birds fell among the bushes. One of them was quite dead, the other was only slightly wounded in the wing, and finding that he could not fly, he ran so fast towards the water that we were afraid he would escape us. Fritz, in the joy of his heart, plunged up to his knees in the water to pick up the flamingo he had killed, and with great difficulty was able to get out again. While I, warned by his example, proceeded more cautiously, in pursuit of the wounded bird. Flora came to my assistance, and running on before, caught hold of the flamingo and held him fast till I reached the spot and took him into my protection. All this was effected with considerable trouble, for the bird made a stout resistance, flapping its wings with violence for some time, but at last I succeeded in securing him. Fritz was not long in extricating Womp. He now appeared, holding the dead flamingo by the feet, but I had more trouble in the care of mine, as I had a great desire to preserve him alive. I had tied his feet and his wings with my handkerchief, notwithstanding which he still continued to flutter about to a distressing degree, and tried to make his escape. I held the flamingo under my left arm and my gun in my right hand. I made the best jumps I was able to get to the boys, but at the risk of sinking every moment in the mud which was extremely deep, and from which it would have been difficult to release me. The joy of the boys was excessive when they saw that my flamingo was alive. If we can but cure his wound and contrive to feed him, what a happiness it will be, said they. 
Do you think he will like to be with the other fowls? I know, answered I, that he is a bird that may be easily tamed, but he will not thank you for such food as we give our fowls. He will make his humble petition to you for some small fish, a few worms, or insects. Ernest, our river will furnish him with all these. Jack and Francis can catch as many as he will want, and very soon, with such long legs as he has, he may learn the way to the river and find them up for himself. But, Father, are all flamingos like this, of such a beautiful red color, and the wings so exquisitely tinted with purple? I think I have seen the flamingo in my natural history, and the colors were not like these, so perhaps this is not a flamingo at last. Father, I believe it is a flamingo, Ernest, and that this difference in the plumage denotes the age of the bird. When very young, they are gray. At a more advanced stage, they are white, and it is only when they are full-grown that they are adorned with this beautiful tinted plumage. But one of you must hold our life, Flamingo, while I repeat my visit to the canes, for I have not done with them yet. I accordingly selected some of the oldest of the stalks, and cut from them their hard-pointed ends, to serve for the tips of my arrows, for which they are also used by the savages of the Antilles. Lastly, I looked for two of the longest canes which I cut for the purpose of measuring the height of our giant tree about which I felt so deep an interest. When I told my sons the use I intended to make of the two longest canes, they indulged themselves in a hearty laugh at me and maintained that though I should lay ten such canes up the trunk of the tree, the last would not reach even to the lowest branch. I requested they would oblige me by having a little patience, and I reminded them that it was not long ago that they defied their mother to catch the fowls because they themselves had not known how to set about it. We now thought of returning. Ernest took the charge to the canes, Fritz carried the dead flamingo, and I resumed the care of the living one. We had now reached the spot where we had left three bundles of bamboo canes, and as my sons were sufficiently loaded, I took charge of them myself. We at length arrived once more at our giant trees, and were received with a thousand expressions of interest and kindness. All were delighted at the sight of our new captures. My wife, with her usual anxiety about the means for subsisting, asked where we should get food enough for all the animals we brought home. You should consider, said I, that some of them feed us instead of being fed, and the one we have now brought you need not give much uneasiness if, as I hope, he proves able to find food for himself. I now began to examine his wound and found that only one wing was injured by the ball, but that the other had also been slightly wounded by the dog laying hold of him. I applied some ointment to both, which seemed immediately to ease the pain. I next tied him by one of his legs with a long string to a stake I had driven into the ground, quite near to the river, that he might go in and wash himself when he pleased. In the meantime, my little railers had tied the two longest canes together and were endeavoring to measure the tree with them, but when they found that they reached no further than the top of the arch formed by the roots, they all burst into immoderate fits of laughter, assuring me that if I wished to measure the tree, I must think of some other means. 
I, however, sobered them a little by recalling to Fritz's memory some lessons in land surveying he had received in Europe, and that the measure of the highest mountains and their distance from each other may be ascertained by the application of triangles and supposed lines. I instantly proceeded to this kind of operation, fixing my canes in the ground and making use of some string which Fritz guided according to my directions. I found that the height of the lower branches of our tree was forty feet, a particular I was obliged to scrumptiously to ascertain before I could determine the length of my ladder. I now set Fritz and Ernest to work to measure our stock of thick rope, of which I wanted no less than eighty feet for the two sides of the ladder. The two youngest I employed in collecting all the small string we had used for measuring and carrying it to their mother. For my own part, I sat down on the grass and began to make some arrows with a piece of the bamboo, and the short, sharp points of the canes I had taken such pains to secure. As the arrows were hollow, I filled them with the moist sand to give them a little weight, and lastly, I tipped them with a bit of feather from the flamingo to make them fly straight. Scarcely had I finished my work than the boys came jumping round me, uttering a thousand demonstrations of joy. A bow, a bow, and some real arrows, cried they, addressing each other and then running to me. Tell us, father, continued they, what you are going to do with them. Do let me shoot one. And me, and me too, cried one, and all as fast as they could speak. Father, have patience, boys, I say, have patience. Have you, my dear, any strong threads, said I to my wife. I want some immediately. We shall see, said she, and what my bag, which has never yet refused its egg, can do for you. She then threw open its mouth. Come, said she. Purty bag, give me what I asked for. My husband wants some thread, and it must be very strong. See now, did I not promise you should have your wish? Here is a large ball of the very thread you want. Ernest, but I do not see much magic, however, mother, taking out of a bag exactly what we had before put into it. Father, if we are to discuss the matter seriously, Ernest, I cannot but allow that your observation is a just one. But in a moment of dreadful apprehension, such as we experienced on leaving the vessel, to think of a variety of little things that might be useful to one, or all of us, was an act that we may truly call magical. Only from the best of wives and mothers could it have proceeded. It is then something like a truth that your mother is a good fairy who constantly provides for all our wants, but you, young giddy things, think like a little of the benefits you thus enjoy. Just at this moment Fritz joined us. Having finished measuring the string, he brought me the welcome tidings that our stock in all was about five hundred fathoms, which I knew to be more than sufficient for my ladder. I now tied the end of the ball of strong thread to an arrow, and fixing it to the bow, I shot it off in such a direction as to make the arrow pass over one of the largest branches of the tree and fall again to the ground. By this method I lodged my thread securely, while I had the command of the end of the ball below. It was now easy to tie a piece of rope to the end of the thread, and draw it upwards till the knot should reach the same branch. Having thus made quite sure of being able to raise my ladder, we all set to work with increased zeal and confidence. The first thing I did was to cut a length of about 100 feet from my parcel of ropes, an inch thick. This I divided into two equal parts, 
which I stretched along on the ground in two parallel lines at the distance of a foot from each other. I then directed Fritz to cut portions of sugar cane, each two feet in length. Ernest handed them to me, one after another, and as I received them, I inserted them into my cords at the distance of twelve inches, respectively, fixing them with knots in the cord, while Jack, by my order, drove into each a long nail at the two extremities to hinder them from slipping out again. Thus, in a very short time, I had formed a ladder of forty rounds in length and in point of execution, firm and compact, in which we all beheld with a sort of joyful astonishment. I now tied it with strong knots to the end of the rope, which hung from the tree, and pulled it by the other till our ladder reached the branch, and seemed to rest so well upon it, that the joyous exclamations of the boys and my wife resounded from all sides. All the boys wished to be the first to ascend upon it, but I decided that it should be Jack, he being the nimblest and of the lightest figure among them. Accordingly, I and his brothers held the ends of the rope and of the ladder with all our strength, while our young adventurer tripped up the rounds with perfect ease, and presently took his post upon the branch. But I observed that he had not strength enough to tie the rope firmly to the tree. Fritz now interfered, assuring me that he could ascend as safely as his brother, but as he was much heavier, I was not altogether without apprehension. I fastened the end of the ladder with forked stakes to the ground, and then gave him instructions how to step in such a way as to divide his weight by occupying four rounds of the ladder at the same time with his feet and hands. It was not long before we saw him side by side with Jack forty feet above our heads and both saluting us with cries of exultation. Fritz set to work to fa fasten the ladder by passing the rope round and round the branch, and this he performed with so much skill and intelligence that I felt sufficient reliance to, to determine me to ascend myself and well conclude the business he had begun. But first I tied a large pulley to the end of the rope and carried it with me. When I was at the top, I fastened the pulley to a branch which was within my reach, that by this means I might be able the next day to draw up the planks and timbers I might want for building my aerial castle. I executed all this by the light of the moon, and felt the satisfaction of having done a good day's work. I now gently descended my rope ladder and joined my wife and children. Finding an inconvenience in being three together on the branch, I had directed the boys to descend first. My astonishment, therefore, on reaching the ground, where neither Frisk nor Jack had made their appearance, is easier to conceive than to describe. While I was endeavoring to conjecture where they could be, we suddenly heard the sounds of voices which seemed to come from the clouds, and which chanted an evening hymn. I soon perceived the trick our young rogues had played, who, seeing me busily employed in the tree, instead of descending as I had desired, had climbed upwards from branch to branch till they had reached the very top. My heart was now lightened of my apprehensions for their safety. I called out to them as loudly as I could to take great care in coming down. It was almost night, and the light of the moon scarcely penetrated the stream thickness of the foliage. They presently descended without any accident when they told us they scarcely had my voice reached to the great height at which they were. 
I now directed them to assemble all our animals and to get what dry wood we should want for making fares, which I looked to as our defense against the attacks of wild beasts. I explained to them my reasons for this, informing them that in Africa, a country remarkable for its prodigious numbers of ferocious animals, the natives secure themselves from their nocturnal visits by lighting large fares, which all these creatures are known to dread and avoid. My wife now presented me with the day's work she had performed. It was some traces and a breast leather, each for the cow and the ass. I promised her as a reward for her zeal and exertion that we should be all, all be completely settled in the tree the following day, and we, the, we then assembled to supper. All our animals came round us, one after the other. My wife threw some grain to the fowls to accustom them to draw together in a particular spot, and when they had eaten it, we had the pleasure of seeing our pigeons taking their flight to the top of the giant tree, and the cocks and hens perched in and settling themselves and cackling all the time upon the rounds of the ladder. The quadrupeds we tied to the arched roots of the tree quite near to our hammocks, where they quietly lay on the grass to ruminate in tranquility. Our beautiful flamingo was not forgotten, Fritz having fed him with some crumbs of biscuit soaked in milk, which he ate very heartily, and afterwards putting his head under his right wing and raising his left foot, he abandoned himself with confidence to sleep. And now the gaping of one and the outstretched arms of another gave us notice that it was time for our young laborers to retire to rest. We performed our evening devotions. I set fire to several of the heaps and then threw myself contentedly upon my hammock. My young ones were already cased in theirs, and we were soon greeted with their murmurs at being obliged to lie so close to each other that they could not move their limbs. Ah, gentlemen, cried I, you must try to be contented. No cellar is ever better accommodated than you are now, and you must not expect beds to drop from the clouds on your behalf. I directed them how to put themselves in a more convenient posture, and to swing their hammock gently to and fro, and see, added I, if sleep will not visit you as soon, in a hammock as on a bed of down. They profited by my advice, and all, except myself, were soon asleep.